Jesus is talking with a Samaritan woman and the conversation moves on to worship and where they might worship. Samaritan woman talks about the worship that her ancestors, uh, the mountain that uh, her ancestors used to worship at. And Jesus replies. Jesus declared, believe me, woman, a time is coming when you'll worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming, and has now come, when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshippers must worship in spirit and in truth. Lord, we pray that that would be the mark of our worship this morning and every morning, uh, here in church, outside of church, wherever we may be. Lord, may we be people who worship you in spirit and in truth. We stand to sing, we bow our hearts, we lift our hands. Lee read to us at the start from uh, Psalm 18, a a short excerpt, um, and I'm going to read some more of it. It's quite a long psalm, it's a good 50 verses, so I'm actually going to read several short passages from it. Um, I will direct you to which verses as we go along. So Psalm 18, it's on page 551 of the Pew Bibles, if you'd like to follow that. I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock, in whom I take refuge. He is my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call to the Lord, who is worthy of praise, and I am saved from my enemies. The cords of death entangled me. The torrents of destruction overwhelmed me. The cords of the grave coiled around me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called to the Lord. I cried to my God for help. From his temple, he heard my voice. My cry came before him into his ears. To verse 16. He reached down from on high and took hold of me. He drew me out of deep waters. He rescued me from my powerful enemy, from my foes who were too strong for me. They confronted me in the day of my disaster, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a spacious place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. The Lord has dealt with me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanness of my hands, he has rewarded me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord. I have not done evil by turning from my God. 
All his laws are before me. I have not turned away from his decrees. I have been blameless before him and have kept myself from sin. The Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands in his sight. To the faithful, you show yourself faithful. To the blameless, you show yourself blameless. To the pure, you show yourself pure. But to the crooked, you show yourself shrewd. You save the humble, but bring low those whose eyes are haughty. You, O Lord, keep my lamp burning. My God turns my darkness into light. With your help, I can advance against a troop. With my God, I can scale a wall. As for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is flawless. He is a shield for all who take refuge in him. For who is God besides the Lord? And who is the rock except our God? It is God who arms me with strength and makes my way perfect. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to stand on the heights. He trains my hands for battle. My arms can bend a bow of bronze. You give me your shield of victory, and your right hand sustains me. You stoop down to make me great. You broaden the path beneath me, so that my ankles do not turn over. To verse 46. The Lord lives. Praise be to my rock. Exalted be God my saviour. He is the God who avenges me who subdues nations under me, who saves me from my enemies. You exalted me above my foes. From violent men you rescued me. Therefore I will praise you among the nations, O Lord. I will sing praises to your name. Let's just still ourselves for a moment. Lord, I pray you will be in my words and in our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. What is worship? It's a word with which we're all pretty familiar in a church context, I guess. But do we really think about what it means. The service that we've just followed at nine o'clock is from the Church of England's Contemporary Liturgy, which is known as Common Worship. In the 10.30 service here, we have a worship group or a worship band. And of course, once a month, we have our all-age worship service. And this morning, as Lee has said, We've got the final part of our sermon series, The Whole Life for Christ, in which we look at whole life worship. What actually does worship mean? The Oxford English Dictionary, always a good place to go when we're looking for things like this. It defines worship in several different ways. It includes reverence paid to God, 
especially in a church service. It goes on to say that to worship is to adore as divine, to pay religious homage to, to idolize or regard with adoration. So perhaps at this most straightforward of levels, if you like, we might think of worship as the element of a service in which we gather together as a church to sing the praises of God together. But I think that most, if not all of us, would agree that this musical dimension, however beautiful and honouring and pleasing to God it may be, is only a partial understanding, and that worship extends far beyond just singing praise to God. When we join together in our prayers, there's a huge overlap between the act of worship on the one hand and the act of prayer. In the Lord's Prayer itself, we declare, Thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory. In our shared participation as God's family in communion, we join not only in thanksgiving for Christ's sacrifice for us, but also in shared praise to God as part of our Eucharistic prayer. We say together, holy, 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 Lord God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. So let's look at today's reading from Psalm 18 to give us some insights, perhaps, into what worship in this broader sense is really about and why we worship. Whilst the whole of the book of Psalms consists of poems or songs written to God, I think it's fair to say that not all of them are psalms of worship. We've got the Psalms of Lament, where the psalmist... Um, rails at God very often for the circumstance that they find themselves in, um, for, uh, for the absence, apparently, of God from their lives, for the situation in which they have been thrown at the, uh, at the mercy of their enemies um, in desperate straits. However, the psalm today, Psalm 18, is a psalm of worship, and it's a hymn of praise to the Lord. In one respect, it's exceptional. And for those of you who are avid Bible scholars, you will be able to tell me that it appears almost completely verbatim twice in the Bible, because it's also in the second book of Samuel, in chapter 22, identically near enough. And um, it occurs there... um, after David has won a series of battles against his enemies. He's been delivered from those nations who wanted to crush the kingdom of Israel and also from Saul, the king of Israel, uh, who had a vendetta, perhaps, against David. So what we have in Psalm 18 is David expressing in the form of a song his adoration of God and his thanks to him for what he's done in David's life, delivering him from his enemies in these military victories. David sings, we might say, about what God is and what God does. 
and specifically, of course, about what God has done for him. If we look in detail, he speaks metaphorically of God and his qualities. In verse 2, he says, the Lord is my rock, so solidity and permanence. He is his fortress, strength, military might, impregnability, his shield, defense and protection, and the horn of his salvation, power and victory. And then in verse 6 onwards, um, the Lord is characterized as a mighty warrior who who marshals the forces of nature against the enemies of David to rescue him, to intervene and bring him to safety. And so David thanks God. He praises him with every part of his being for all that the Lord has done for him. Throughout Psalm 18, David praises God for who he is, for all of his extraordinary characteristics. He praises God for what he does throughout the whole of creation and throughout the whole of history and for what he's done specifically in David's life. For what he's done hearing him in his distress, rescuing him from his enemies, lifting him up, giving him skills and courage to succeed in these military campaigns and showing him, as he says, unfailing love. David says, the Lord lives, praise be to my rock, exalted be God my saviour. I will praise you, Lord, among the nations. I will sing the praises of your name. So we see here, as we see on many other occasions in his story, that David places God right at the very centre of his life. David is far from perfect. He makes some pretty gruesome errors during his life. But the thing that he was known above all for doing and is still known for doing is placing God at the very top of his list of priorities in life. For David, God is the source of all life. He's the point to which David returns in love and praise and thanksgiving and submission time and time again. David worships the Lord out of the reality that God loved him first then and that God continues to love each one of us now. This is true worship, placing God above all else in our lives, worshipping him not only for what he's done in our lives, good as that may be, but first and foremost, worshipping God Because he's God. How else could we respond to the creator of the universe, the extraordinary variety of creation around us, the richness? How else could we worship our almighty father? Within this, I believe there's also a profoundly spiritual dimension to worship. When we worship God in our words and our songs and our praises, we somehow bring into being 
in our spiritual declarations, in our truths about God. These truths are, are of course, by their very nature, uh, true regardless of whether we articulate them aloud or not. But when we declare them over a situation, there's a sense in which somehow they become more incarnate, if you like. In a similar way, of course, the Holy Spirit is always present with us. And yet, as Christians, we still join together in the oldest of Christian prayers, Come Holy Spirit, that the presence of the Spirit will in some mystical way increase when and where we're making that prayer. Here. Now. And so when we declare God's praise in worship, the eternal truths about his nature and his actions somehow mystically take on this greater power in our lives. So why might be especially important to us when we consider how we can live out this whole life discipleship, following Jesus in all parts of our lives? Why might it be particularly important to think about worship, this whole life worship? I'd like to suggest to you that it's particularly because there is real truth in the saying, you become what you worship. You become what you worship. All of us have seen, or in many cases, no doubt, have been ourselves um, the child who idolises a football star or a cricketer or a, a ballet dancer or a pop star or a TV personality. Indeed, one of the most popular TV shows of recent years goes by the name of Pop Idol. The very aim of the programme is for the winner to attain such status that they will be the subject of worship, of idolisation, by viewers and by fans. Whilst it's true to say that children are in general more impressionable in their attitude, I believe that there's a profound truth in this statement, you become what you worship. What we focus our emotions, our efforts, our resources, our finances, our time, our lives on, is the mould into which we're ultimately shaped as individuals. At the risk of speaking to a relatively small proportion of you, and at least I know in this case that the rector is one of those, I hope that those of you um, with whom this doesn't immediately resonate will will get the point at least. Um, In one of my favourite films, going back to when I was a good deal younger, Um, Fever Pitch. The central character, um, Paul, is a passionate Arsenal fan. And he goes to watch a game of primary school football close to his home in North London. And all of the boys who are playing in this game are mad keen Arsenal fans as well. And if you can cast your minds back to the 1990s, um, this was the time when Arsenal... Um, had a notoriously tight defence and they ground out match after match after match 1-0. 
and more, than often, uh, more often than not, they kept a clean sheet through their defenders um, playing what, uh, what is known as the offside trap. So they would move up the pitch in unison to catch the opposing team's attackers offside and get a free kick. And the Arsenal def- defenders were all notorious for raising their arm together and imploring the referee to blow his whistle for a free kick to them as the opposition's forwards strayed offside. And, of course, Paul is horrified to see this team of 10-year-olds in a little school kickabout all doing exactly the same as their professional heroes and raising their arms in unison and haranguing the referee. We become what we worship. As the theologian Tom Wright puts it in his book, Simply Christian, you become like what you worship when you gaze in awe and admiration and wonder at something or someone. You begin to take on something of the character of the object of your worship. as we see in the person of Jesus throughout the Gospels. He is so committed to worshipping his Father, our Heavenly Father, time after time after time. It's not flashy. It's not showy. There's no particular ceremony about the way in which Jesus worships. But he returns time and again to worship and to prayer, and perhaps especially at times of pressure, of difficulty, of important decisions in his life, when he chooses the twelve disciples, when he's faced with the violent death of John the Baptist, trying to make sense of that, and perhaps most so when he wrestles with the anguish of the knowledge of what is to come in the Garden of Gethsemane. We see in the person of Jesus of the Gospels, as it's fair to say, we see more than a a passing glimpse of too in the person of David in the Old Testament, a life that is conformed with the Father's will, both in action and in orientation, as well as in the practice of prayer and of worship. Indeed, Jesus goes so far as to say in John 5.19, Very truly, I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees the Father doing, because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. Jesus shows us something of primary importance that paradoxically, to live a fully human life, we have to start by looking away from ourselves. We have to start by looking to God. It's only then, as worship of God and praise of God and thanksgiving to God become foundational in our lives to the way in which we orientate ourselves. It's only then that we can come into the fullness of our humanity, the fullness of joy and godly freedom that God wishes for us in and through the person of Jesus. 
So, as we come towards, in fact, we come to the end of this season of the whole life of Christ, this sermon series. And for those of us who are going on the weekend away next weekend, and maybe are thinking about, um, about the theme of that weekend, of being challenged by God in our lives and being equipped by him to meet those challenges too. Something that applies, of course, to every single one of us. As we reach this point, let's perhaps take a moment of quiet. I don't propose here and now that we declare out loud who for us God particularly is. What are his uh, characteristics that especially resonate with our faith? Or indeed what God has done or is doing in our lives and for which we wish to thank him. I'm not proposing that we do that here and now. However, what I do suggest, I do offer to you, is that at some point later today, wherever that may be, wherever you feel comfortable doing it, you take a moment to declare out loud the things that God is that mean the most to you in worship of him and the things that he is particularly doing and has done in your lives so that we join together spiritually as God's family, God's family of St. Giles in a declaration of his majesty and power, of his protection and love on each one of us individually and collectively as the St. Giles family. And perhaps more importantly, let's all continue to keep this focus of worship on the Lord in all that we say and do. So that through him, becoming what we worship, each one of us can carry with ourselves the light of Christ and the love of God into every place that we go, every person that we meet every conversation that we have in all that we say and do. In Jesus' name, amen. band wants to come back up we're going to continue